You're listening, Studs, and my guest this week is Kevin Chap. Uh, Kevin is the publisher behind Chap Books, spelt C Z A P, and there's a new Kickstarter up um, that is ending uh, very soon on Thursday. What time on Thursday? Um, it'll be midnight uh, Eastern time, so okay. a little earlier for you West Coasters. There we go. Uh, and so the is this your first Kickstarter? Yes. Have you done first stuff? Uh, mm-hmm. But this isn't your first chunk that you've published. Um, mm, right. Yeah, we've been um, for the past couple of years, but sort of transitioned to publishing other people's work around uh, between one or two years ago. Um, so yeah, like last December, we put out. Uh, Laura Konetzker's Bug Boys volume, which is a, a thick book of four years of work. And then, um, so this is sort of following in that trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the folks that are going to be on there is uh, Jesse Sabarsky, Kelly Quang, and good old Liz Suburbia, uh, yep. a favorite here among the Ink Studs folks. And with myself, we're... Uh, Longtime friends, best friends, and it's kind of been in the works to work together for a while, and this was um, a perfect opportunity to get that going. Yeah, it's it's really nice to see um, you had a pretty humble uh, ask on there, and you've you're getting close to doubling it, which is really really great to see. Yeah, it's really <laughs> amazing. I I you know I thought it was definitely doable and. Um, I felt like it was a relatively humble ask, but I felt like it was, you know, um, within the realm of possibility, considering it's my first Kickstarter and, like, other micro-presses have had um, around the same amount um, asking, so I wasn't expecting the uh, reception we got, kind of, um, we met the goal on the second day, and then it kind of has been rising and like you said we're nearing double as we round it up and um, so it's definitely been an experience I prepared a lot for it um, as much as I could and I think that was helpful but it definitely was not preparing for it to go like this so. yeah no it's fantastic 326 backers it says so mm-hmm. you know it's uh, it's nice to see uh, especially with the first time one out there and it's not your kind of a lot of comic stuff with maybe the exception of like 2D and retrofit it's pretty genre oriented that really pushes hard on the Kickstarter thing mm-hmm. um, as far as publishers stuff goes so this is far more up my alley not that there's anything wrong with genre nothing yeah. wrong with genre um, now I just sound like a jerk like that Seinfeld <laughs> episode not that there's anything wrong with it um but we should first, because there's a bunch I want to talk about with that, but kind of want to get a better idea of who you are as a cartoonist and kind of how we get to this point of publishing other people's stuff. Because sure. uh, you've been around for a little while now, talked to you at shows and stuff, um, mm-hmm. but it feels like this last year or so is really like, or a couple of years is really, really pushing um, to really take the what you're doing to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe tell me a bit about your own background and... Uh, what kind of excited you to jump into comics and be doodling? Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, it's one of those things that's kind of the um, common answer that just like it started very young, and but um, I think it was around college. I went to uh, art school in Cleveland, and I was it been really in love with comics up through high school but then I was like alright I'm going to art school let me um, try other stuff um, so I kind of was made a pack of myself I'll put comics to the side not like stop reading them like most people do but I would just like explore other um, areas of art making um, uh-huh. and so going through that it only made my appreciation of comics grow more because um, I sort of had this other way of approaching it, um, and I think it coincides with, um, you know, reading Scott McCloud stuff and, um, a lot of the other entry-level, um, comics, uh, literature or whatever, um, and so by the time I was graduating, which was a five-year program, I was like, all right, I have this appreciation of art in general, but I still feel like uh, a comics lifer or whatever. So um, (laughs) (laughs) I sort of um, took everything I had and um, made a comic for my final project. And sort of from there, um, I had a rough couple of years immediately after school where it was very difficult to work on comics at all. Um, and while I was doing that, I was kind of using um, the school's resources because I got a job there out of the gate. Um, um, but I was using an interlibrary loan to kind of read like every single comic I could get. And I was like following Brandon's, um, uh, I guess it was a WordPress by that point, but Live Journal WordPress and mm-hmm. listening to a lot of Ink Studs and uh, Comics Comics and um, just kind of like overloading myself with like comic stuff and reading everything I could get my hands on through the interlibrary loan and so that was kind of my hardcore like capsule comics education um I I like the idea of uh comics comics and Brandon's live journal is like a 2008 2007 like capsule of like comics information because it's so weird and specific in two different directions Mm -hmm. with like a really I don't know it's interesting yeah and I'm also really interested in stuff like that like the specific history and the culture of comics and like that being a snapshot of a particular time is interesting to me and also um, web comics from like 2003 up to that point we're also like um very much in my periphery, so I feel like all that has... Oh, and also, like, Jog, like, Joe McCullough's, like, writing. Yeah. Like, so all that, I feel like, lends to my view of comics being this wide-open thing with so many, like, amazing, exciting possibilities that, like, I've never gotten tired of it. And, um... And that's kind of what from the beginning I've explored with my work it's always really formal and like especially at the beginning kind of like more formal experiments um, more than anything else I guess Um, a lot of short work that you're kind of trying different techniques and working through that Mm -hmm. 
it's one of the things I was just thinking about um, between Jog and Brandon Graham's uh, blogging is it's a lot of manga stuff, mm-hmm. um, especially with Brandon, a lot of untranslated manga stuff. I didn't really think about that in connection to your work, but there is something really interesting thing I find in your work where, um, while you have like a really poetic content to it, another way, the language within your work can be secondary to the story kind of moving on its own too. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm making a good connection here, but there's something about that that rings out to me of how uh, I could see kind of just immersing yourself in not necessarily work you can read, but still kind of looking at this and how uh, the story dynamics work. Because that's something I really find interesting in your work is you have a really good eye for that, especially with the formalism. Well, thanks. And I think that sounds right to me that it's like, no, it's just, um, it matches up with thoughts I've had about like the language being like, you know, some of the stuff in Future Perf is very uh, invented slang heavy and it may be impenetrable at times, but I feel like what they're saying is not super important or as it's not more important than the way they're moving or their interactions or how the rest of the comic is flowing. It's kind of like, um, I always feel like I don't want to trust what um, the character on a page is saying to advance the story more so. I don't know. Um, people are unreliable narrators in general. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that idea where the two components can play play different um, kind of have a different objective mm-hmm. is maybe what I'm trying to say like yeah, you, you want one thing out of um, the story and you want another thing out of the way the story's working right, exactly Yeah. Um, but Fuchi Perfect is actually like a collection of, uh, of stories you've been working through for a while yeah, um, I had the idea of making it all one piece. I've always, um, I'm always making connections to music, and I was always like, I want to write an album. So they were kind of like the songs I was working out over time. Um, and um, so you were mentioning seeing one or two things, um, like early versions of that work. And um, yeah, I was putting that out over time, and then for the actual book itself, I ended up um, revising and redrawing kind of everything. Um, sometimes in a few cases, like uh, multiple times, just to try and get it right and like fine tune some of the language or panel stuff. What's interesting is like the the stuff that I, like I don't remember what it was. It was like. Brandon picked it up in New York, and he was really jazzed on how you were doing, how sound was working in your book. Mm. And he actually like did a presentation at the Society Illustrators and put that in there uh, to talk about that. And it's interesting we're talking about this because um, coming to that linkage from, from creating an album to doing sound in comics or doing sound in a specific way in comics. And, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many inherent challenges that it's a really hard thing. It's easy to fuck up doing sound in comics. 
especially mm-hmm. music. Um, it could be one of the worst things you can find in a comic is when someone does a music scene that feels incredibly insincere and you're wondering if they've ever owned an album. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, anyone I'm offended with that. Uh, but that, that was something really strong in that work. Uh, and so I'm wondering about your thoughts about that, about the usage of sound and work and how you kind of construct these scenes. Thanks. Um, I'm trying to remember how it was. I guess um, I just listen to music a lot, and when I'm making comics, I'm kind of maybe first and foremost trying to translate the feeling of the music, and um, more recently I've started to kind of actually map out songs to like see like you know where things happen and sort of like how they're proportionally set up to see if that can like help me get any closer to it but um see I don't know there's like just the rise and fall of stuff it's really I don't know I'm not sure how to describe what I'm thinking of besides just um there's this feeling I'm going for and it's kind of like everything that I make so far I feel like has been an attempt at getting at it, and um, I kind of judge by how much or how little reaction it gets to like see if I was successful, <laughs> and I go back <laughs> and try it again. And so that's what you're doing when you're revising to kind of come up to this finished work with Fuji. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that was printed in in Risograph. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. Really good. Um printer uh, Matt Davis who does Perfectly Acceptable Press uh, in Chicago. I had met Matt um, when he was in college in Ohio and um, just very lucky of me to have known him beforehand and he was very uh, um, gracious um, to print my book and it was kind of the biggest thing he'd ever done and it ended up being kind of harder than either of us expected but so I'm really grateful that he uh, brought that into the world <laughs> uh, I'm kind of not surprised because that it the challenge because it really it came out quite nicely um, and it seemed to remember it has a lot of color usage to it too yeah um, it's not like your one color Risso zine it's they're really interplaying with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a two-color um, that I really um, tried to... It was one of those things, was like, if I'm going to do this big Riso project, I want to um, you know, really make that a part of it. So seeing how I could best utilize the two colors, which, you know, I don't... I've usually been just, like, black-and-white line person... Or, like, um, digital colors added in Photoshop. I don't have much of a screen printing background or anything, so it was really kind of... You had to have a lot of trust in the printer. Yeah, but he was also super helpful. Like, um, he gave me a contact sheet of the two colors, like, overlying, lapping, and so with that I could kind of do it mathematically. Like, okay, this is, like, 10% um, blue and whatever percent pink so I have an idea of what it'll look like so uh, can't say enough good things about Matt perfectly acceptable (laughs) 
Uh, was there a particular choice with that color scheme? Um, I think I remember um, the Piao guys were doing a presentation at TCAF this past year where it was like, yeah, everybody does risograph, and the first things they want to do is the fluorescent pink. And I was like, yep, that was exactly me. <laughs> um, but it's just a, such a great color, and um, I don't know. I guess I can't feel ashamed about it. Um, yeah. So it was like, I definitely wanted the pink. And I originally was thinking of pink and purple, um, so it would be like really like super saturated like that but um, Matt didn't have a purple he had this lake blue that um, you know when they overlap they made a pretty strong purple anyway so I was like okay I can work with that I like how I'm looking at your Kickstarter page and it has the Kickstarter video and then even your hoodie is like a almost pink purpley in a <laughs> profile photo Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you've got something going on there. I think you yeah, have yeah. A, a particular taste. Yeah. Um, now I want to talk more about the content of Future Perfect and a bit about that formalism, um, because I, I I'm really interested in it because I really see a lot of new things you're trying with the book where you're not kind of um, basing on kind of following someone else's tradition with it. Um, I'm interested in that and kind of what your uh, present day influences and one of these things that are kind of jazzing you on pushing yourself in these different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thanks. Um, i trying to think. Uh, let me see if I can grab a copy because I know that I thanked a lot of people in the back and those are like some of them are like the influences <laughs> <laughs> but um I think what I could say about what I was trying to do is um I what it was basically kind of like um there was a time when I would be very down about things and down about myself and it's kind of like there's not really any end to that you just kind of like you know feed the spiral just like oh it's terrible beat yourself up you're like just kind of like self-negating and um in the within the since like 2010 or so kind of been able to turn that around and kind of embrace like a what big brains called the PMA, the positive mental attitude. Um, but anyway, and that doesn't always work, but it was kind of just like, um, it put in my mind the idea like, oh, all right, if you're bummed out, the first thing that you should try just as an experiment is like, well, what would be like a positive version of this? Or like, what would be the opposite be? And so that's where a lot of the things in Future Perf came out of, they were kind of like, um, all right, I'm bummed out that I'm so far away from my friends. What if there was like a place where all my friends lived on my street? And that's kind of like one of the stories in there. And from there, I sort of kept going with that concept. It's like, well, what is this kind of like magical wish fulfillment, like perfect utopia look like? And sort of, um, I was living in Cleveland, Ohio for 12 years, and that's um, a traditionally um, 
self-negative kind of place like um really internalized the mistake by the lake attitude and maybe now that they've um finally won a sports championship <laughs> that'll start to change but um so yeah kind of like extending my own like um magical dreamland to the entire city of cleveland and like beyond that like the innumerable injustices and um just everything that seems wrong with this world like what can we I don't know what would it look like if it was not so much so it's kind of there's a little bit of a um, self-conscious tongue-in-cheek quality to it um, and I've had people ask me like is it sincere or is it like a joke and it's kind of somewhere in between but it's largely coming from a sincere place like it is I think it's uh can be a radical act to be optimistic about things. So I think that's where it's coming from. One of the things that kind of when I do my interviews I write little notes and little words that pop up on every things. And one of the things there seemed to be like a nostalgic aspect to the book. Hmm. And I'm wondering if that's just me or is that something implied in there in the relationship of the characters and just the kind of setting while it still it feels not modern like near future type thing uh, it still has like a weird nostalgic approach to it in a way hmm. well what that makes me think of is I guess um, some of the fashions that I've drawn are kind of like a mash of sort of like late 80s or like mid to late 80s up through the 90s kind of looks all kind of jammed together with some um, like uh, codedly futuristic um, accessories like stacked on top Um, but as far as, I don't know yeah, I don't know it's just one of those things that, that kind of resonated with me Hmm. In your ley lines, one use uh, or you do work yeah. with a particular writer, or um, I think you're talking about Bastian Otter. Yes, the work is kind of influenced by, and Bastian was a conceptual or performance artist um, from the Netherlands, working in the '70s, and um, he's kind of famous for work that was um, very kind of blatantly could be seen as sentimental but it always was like on the line of kind of like being a joke and just like um, unbearably sublime like he has one piece uh, which kind of kick-started the idea for the ley lines um, called I'm Too Sad to Tell You which is kind of like a photo of his face and he's just sobbing and it's kind of like this very succinct moment. And then he has a bunch of videos or photographs of him falling off of things. And um, kind of his last piece was um, a tragic accident where he was trying to man a uh, one-person ship um, across the Atlantic, which he was a sailor, um, but it's kind of, he ended up being lost at sea. And um, it was supposed to be the last in a three-part uh, work and um, 
and that was entitled In Search of the Miraculous. So kind of taking all those ideas like crying in the water um, is how I worked it into my uh, ley lines issue. So, so those were your your words just riffing on his ideas, his conceptual right. ideas? Okay. Um, you don't show faces in that story. No, yeah. Um, why? I think it was, um, well, that one deals a lot with, um, kind of, well, how do I put it? It's a lot about, um, identity and gender, and, um, it was, whereas for a long time I'd made work that was, like, explicitly in, like, the second person, like, using you, I, for this piece, I felt like it was, especially with the work that inspired it, I should use the first person, and so, kind of, it's almost like you wouldn't see your own face, but then, I don't know, how do I describe it? You didn't want to be prescriptive? Maybe. I think it's more the idea of imagining yourself as a different person and so it's kind of like how do you do that in a dream dreamy kind of way um, without um, I don't know having the face obscured seemed very important <laughs> and uh, not sure how did a describe it beyond that feeling that it was it was the right call to make and like otherwise it would have uh, conveyed something other than what I was trying to do is it like an anonymity yeah kind of or it's also um, the arc of that comic is sort of like um, it starts off imagining um, the first lines are like um, I realized that the forces guiding my life are fear and control, and having no use for masculinity, I discard them. So it's kind of like um, imagining, like, all right, what if I was, like, born and raised differently, and what would that mean? And there's, it starts off kind of an idealized way, like, um, all right, well, this is nice. I have slumber parties and these friends and this kind of um, idyllic, upbringing that um, kind of idolized and going through it gets more and more um, uh, physical and close to um, the self as kind of exploring that idea is like well what it would would it really be like what would if my if like the body was actually different if like this is somebody else's body or um, somebody else's life like what is everything that that entails beyond just, um, you know, the nice uh, things that you can think about? Does that make sense? Yeah. It's a ch there's a there's like a challenging tug of war there. Mm -hmm. Um. Now your other thing I was mentioning is the uh, Joni Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, work. Um, I'm telling you about that interplay. Mm hmm. So that was originally created um, every year. Um, I can't remember 
I guess. Yeah, it's through the month of November. There's a couple people who do uh, daily uh, comics month. Mm-hmm. Um, just like uh, a comic a day throughout November. It's kind of like NaNoWriMo um, in that way. But, um, and that sort of, it always uh, centers around this idea of a constraint. Like, what is this um, formal constraint that you'll use to sort of guide your comics and help take away some decision making so you actually accomplish the task of making a comic a day for 30 days. And, um, and like I said, I'm always influenced by music and um, that was made kind of at the height of an ongoing Joni Mitchell fascination. And um, so all the text is um, taken from the album um, uh, Good Year for the Roses. And um, it's all work that has like um, the address you in it again, like the second person. So, and then they were all made um, with Sharpie and whiteout and a little blue pencil. So it's kind of just going off of that. I would do like two panels per day, and I would take like um, these two lines from Joni Mitchell songs, and I would the panels would either relate sort of to what the lines were, or there would be some disconnect and making something interesting so and I feel like it was a pretty good result um, yeah you don't you don't normally do the the November thing though yeah I've been doing it oh. for a couple of years it's usually different and maybe I took one year off but um but it's a chance to try something different right yeah personally. yeah mm-hmm so when did you start looking at publishing other folks' work? Well, um, I guess it started around the time when I started um, tabling on my own um, at shows, which I didn't do until kind of late. Uh, well, I guess that's relative. But um, so anyway, I was starting to table and being kind of new in my career, I didn't have a lot of stuff to fill the table, but I knew other people, maybe one or two other people um, who did comics around Cleveland, or that I grew up with, like Liz, so I was like, hey, um, let me uh, sell your comics for you, I'll give you the money, but I just want to like have stuff on the table. Mm-hmm. And from there, uh, Liz and I, in uh, 2010, started an anthology called Puppy Teeth. That we were like, all right, we're going to SBX. It's gonna, we gotta have a comic to hand out to people, and um, so we put this together. We like tapped all the cartoonists that we knew to be a part of it, and um, we made a couple of those over the years. But um, I've always, I don't know, I found that um, I really liked organizing projects like that, and I really like um, being a cheerleader for other people. Um, you know, I. I really love comics, and I love telling people about comics, and it's easier sometimes to do that um, without feeling like it's weird if you're talking about other people's work than your own. So it's kind of like I could always have my own work, but then um, kind of really bang the drum for somebody else at the same time. And um, 
so and then obviously well I don't know how obvious it is but um, <laughs> <laughs> I you know uh, Annie Kiyama was doing amazing stuff with Kiyama Press uh, Chris Pitzer with Ad House uh, the Secret Acres guys um, were all around and were very um, you know kind to me and gracious and um, they're definitely an influence um, to want to go more into um, the publishing end and mm-hmm. sort of as the years went on I noticed that I was like you know things were getting better and better I was like making more sales I was meeting more people and it seemed like I could do this to a certain extent um, even though obviously there's not a ton of money in it but I feel like just enough to kind of maintain a, a level of sustainability yeah so um what was the point between doing like mini comics and publishing and stuff like that to like doing like because one of the bigger books uh which i think you said came out last year was it the mm-hmm. laura Kanetsker's yeah um, bug, boys. bug boys which is quite a thick book yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of it is just what I get excited about. Like, you do mini comics for a while, and it's like, oh, this is great. And I still love all the different forms, but yeah, it's definitely over time. And I notice this the most with Puppy Teeth. Like, we started off with the first issue was just a black and white um, photocopied zine sort of thing. And then it's like, all right, let's try the next one, like, bigger and in color. It's like, all right, well, how about the third one? We'll have, like, a ton of people. It'll be, like, really nice production. We'll have it, like, a big book, perfect bound. And once we sort of figured that out for the next one, it's like, all right, let's scale it back a little bit. Let's see what it's like when we do a more curated um, approach rather than just, like, stuffing everybody into a thick volume. Mm-hmm. And um, see, so yeah, with, like, Laura's book, we we both really wanted the idea of having everything in one volume, this like huge brick of a book um, that's still um, accessible and affordable for um, younger readers, because I feel like that is a truly all-ages book, and um, so it's kind of approaching it from project to project, like, oh, uh, this would be really great to do, and it works with this particular artist's work. Um, we should go go to it. And I feel like recently, in the past year or so, I've been more focused on trying to sort of not master, but like get better at doing things a certain way. Like the pattern we established last year, which is putting out two books, um, sort of the middle and the end of the year, and uh, they sort of look like these kind of books that worked pretty well and this year um, has been about kind of replicating that and um, and that's sort of the model for the following year as well and the Kickstarter books so so tell me about the Kickstarter about the books that you're you're pushing that you want folks to support yeah so um, the first book which will be available as early as December of this year or January of next year is called Witchlight and it's by uh, Jesse Zabarski who's in Chicago and it is 
a uh, she describes it as a shoujo adventure comic um, so it's kind of got those um, uh, genre aspects to it uh, where it's like a fantasy world very uh, reminiscent of like a Hayao Miyazaki type world um, but it's got a very personal touch to it I feel like um, and very character focused it stars these two women who kind of by chance end up traveling together and they're both on their own individual journeys toward um, sort of finding a lost piece of themselves and um, it's a relatively short book um, but I feel like it's very it packs a lot of punch and there's a lot of detail Jesse's an amazing cartoonist and there's mm-hmm. a ton of like really exquisite detail and I particularly like I was noticing going through the pages like if there's a double page spread of like a uh, an establishing shot of a town or whatever she's more concerned in the um, the design or the um, the decoration of the page as a drawing than them necessarily existing in a space um, so I feel like that attention to drawing is really, um, I don't know, it excites me. It's a really beautiful style, and it reminds me of, like, a more focused Bastion Vives, mm. the, the last man thing mm-hmm. from, from first second. I'm trying to say that in the most complimentary way. I know folks don't like being, like, directly compared, but it, it, it but it's kind of more realized. Mm. Um really focus. It's it's really nice looking. Thanks. Yeah, I, I agree. And, um, <laughs> and that's why you're publishing it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's one of those things. Uh, I remember um, Ryan Sands of Youth and Decline said that he liked he was like, oh, I like uh, your lineup that's coming out. And I said, oh, me too. He said, oh, thank God. Said, oh, God, I really hope you didn't hate it. <laughs> so you'd be fucked. <laughs> yeah. Why am I doing this? <laughs> um, uh, and then speaking of Ryan, uh, he published a Frontier issue by your, one of your other folks, Kelly Quang. Yeah. Um, which is exciting looking stuff. Yeah, totally. She is um, based in Toronto and um, yeah, for years was doing this work around the Space Youth Cadets that are in the Frontier issue. And, um, yeah, kind of since I laid my eyes on it, it was kind of like, there's really nobody else that I can think of that's doing work like this. Um, and it approached comics in a way that I felt was really fresh. There was a lot of, um, photographic elements in it. Like, she would make an object or the paper and photograph it in a way, um, or... I think she had that one big mural that was this kind of comic slash illustration and um, just really inventive use of um, like user interfaces as panels and just like really marrying uh, form and content in yeah. a great way. And um, so the book that we're going to be doing is will be it's called Don't Tell Me Not to Worry A Worry I Want, and it's going to be all new work that um, 
sort of uh, builds on her some of the more personal work that she's done. So um, not the space youth cadets, but um, there's some examples of that work on the Kickstarter where it's just this person just like sweating so much and they're just like soaking and like almost drowning in their sweat and it's just these like personal musings about um, vulnerability and um, you know sort of getting to know yourself and just being like it's okay that I'm vulnerable and I have these weaknesses I'm gonna like make it through and uh, a lot of her like she designs a lot of amazing looking apparel and it always has like a message like um, you're gonna get through it or be kind to yourself because other or the universe will surely not be or stuff like that Um, sorry to butcher it Kelly I'm not (laughs) 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 but so yeah it's kind of um, I got to ask her a year or two ago if she wanted to work on a book together because she was always kind of like at the top of my list for somebody to work with and um, was very happy that one she said she would like to and that she actually genuinely seemed to be excited about it um, so yeah I can't I really can't wait to uh, have that book become a reality it's going to be amazing and that'll be out in the new year mm-hmm uh, and then last but not least is uh, your old friend, who I guess you guys went to high school together? Yes. In suburbia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Liz um, is going to be doing a new project called Egg Cream, which will be a one-person anthology sort of thing, um, probably annual. Uh, we'll have to, like, figure out how it goes. Mm-hmm. But, um, so yeah, it's going to be a, a book of comics with the main feature being a uh, an ongoing um, story that is the sequel to her graphic novel Sacred Heart, um, which came out last year. And, um, and Sacred Heart was the story of this high school girl, um, Ben Schiller, who was like a punk and would go to high school with all her friends and it would always show them like goofing off and um, some more dangerous stuff happening there's a lot of like sex violence angst and all the good teenage stuff and it was like there are always no parents around and it kind of like as the pages go on it's like oh this is really weird where are their parents why are there no adults and um, shit gets real yeah shit gets very real so um in egg cream She's going to pick up the story again. It's going to jump ahead 10 years into the future um, when everybody's in their mid-20s, and it's going to follow up with Ben as she is sitting up in a bar being talked at by somebody, and um, on the TV there, um, they're airing a documentary that's all about the cult that um, she actually comes from. Um, so, I don't know. It's like a, a thin line of like the book has been out for a while, but you don't want to give away yeah. too much about the ending. But so anyway, you you find out a, a bit more background about what the circumstances are that led to all these horny teenagers being left to their own devices, and um, kind of goes from there. And I'm particularly excited because 
I think that Liz did an amazing job capturing a lot of truth in the teenage experience, or at least um, an it, experience that felt like close to the lives that we lived. It felt honest and authentic. Yeah. And um, so I'm really excited to her for her to be taking that approach to like the mid-20s, which is in a lot of ways a much darker time. <laughs> Yeah, so, I think it's a, a common truth. So it should be interesting. Um, now, this called Egg Cream in her previous series was called Cyanide Milkshake. Mm-hmm. Is everything kind of drink-based mm-hmm. on purpose? Well, I don't know if everything is, but it was definitely a, the, um, a pointed reference. Um, and I think Liz just loves egg cream, like, uh, genuinely. Yeah. So it was like, I've got egg cream on the brain, and it'll work out because it's like the sequel to Cyanide Milkshake, so it's all uh, good. I hadn't had an egg cream till going to New York with Brandon. He made me uh, try it, and now apparently he tries to get bartenders to make them for him in Vancouver. I honestly can't remember if I've had one or not. I'm going to guess not, but I don't know. It's Maybe tasty. next time I see Liz. There you go. And a reminder, folks, the Kickstarter will be complete uh, Thursday night, midnight East Coast time, and I highly suggest checking it out. Uh, the Rise of Chat Books, spelt C-Z-A-P, and I'll have a link on the Studs website, bringing you to it. Um, I'm really into into the books that Kevin's supporting and as well as doing. And it's really interesting because your personal work feels a lot different than your published work mm. um, and it feels like your chat um, I don't know how to describe it but like you're you're challenging with yourself more and um, the published work I don't know there's a pleasing quality to reading the stuff mm. here not that your work isn't pleasing <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think I think it goes back to just my I guess philosophy that comics has so much room for varied stuff and um I think yeah with Bug Boys is definitely on the cute side and there's a lot of cuteness and sweetness in Witchlight and kind of all of these in a way but um I truly believe there's more to it than that and but also um, along the side of this um, I'm co-publishing the Leyline series with uh, L. Nichols and Grindstone Comics um, which I think has an even broader selection of cartoonists like we've had Annie Mock, Warren Craghead, Kathy G. Johnson, Andrew White, Aaron Curry, uh, Mimi Chernowski, Aaron Cockle and um Mine is the most recent, the one we were talking about, um, about Bastian, and then um, at the end of the year, we'll have Leila Malevsky um, talking about Gothic architecture. So it's kind of um, really totally different yeah. stuff. Like um, I think Erin Curry is one of the most amazing people working in comics now, and she does mostly like sculpture-based work and. Um, 
And even when she does like two-dimensional comics, she finds a way to make it entirely new and um, exciting. So I feel like between the two projects um, and my own work, it gives me the opportunity to kind of have my hand in all these different um, possibilities of comics, and that makes it exciting for me. Mm -hmm. That's nice stuff. Um, thank thank you. you, Kevin, for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Robin. Yeah, and folks, go check out his work as well as new book, uh, Fuji Perf, um, which I probably totally mispronounced. No, that's but... pretty good. I say it, Fuji Perf. But um, yeah, it's currently out of print, but there are digital copies available, and um, like I can say that it will be back in print at some point in the future and for folks going to comic shows you'll be at SPX in Bethesda um, mm -hmm. Ripe in Providence uh, CXC in Columbus Mice, Genghis Khan and last but not least the wonderful Comics Arts LA uh, which yeah. I haven't been to yet but it sounds fantastic yeah it's great I went last year and uh, had a great time so I'm looking forward to doing it again. Yeah, all those animators in L.A. kind of equals this amazing scene of folks that don't make enough comics. But <laughs> when they do, they're fantastic. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much, Kevin. Yeah, definitely. My pleasure. Get off my back! Get off my back!